Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability, which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. Down Syndrome Queensland understands that access to prenatal screening and diagnosis is important for many families. We respect the right of women to undertake prenatal testing if they choose to do so and to make decisions about whether or not to continue a pregnancy based on their own circumstances and beliefs. Research suggests that currently many families may not be making fully informed choices about prenatal testing. We're concerned that some families may be making decisions that are based on negative community attitudes and inaccurate, outdated information about Down syndrome. Non-invasive prenatal screening marketing material often focuses on the relief and reassurance that prenatal screening can offer. But there's very little out there about the 2-3% of unexpected results that might raise more questions than answers. There may be misinformation, or perhaps worse still, silence about screened for conditions. Through our work supporting families through prenatal screening and diagnosis, we often hear stories of misinformation about life with Down syndrome and an assumption that following a diagnosis, prospective parents would choose termination. We also hear stories of choices not being supported or respected And frequently, families have to stumble upon support services themselves rather than being referred to them as part of ongoing care during the remainder of their pregnancy. Down Syndrome Queensland, in partnership with the Department of Health, has been funded to deliver a project which will improve the training and education available to healthcare professionals to enable access to accurate and balanced information at the time patients are considering prenatal screening. This much needed project supports healthcare professionals offering prenatal care and navigating prenatal screening technology. It's an area that can be divisive. It can be hard to talk about and difficult to think about. 
While prenatal screening technology can give us a chromosome count, when prospective parents ask, what does that mean for my child? Often the answer is far less clear. This project brings together critical clinical knowledge with the lived experiences of people with chromosomal conditions such as Down syndrome. Prospective parents making decisions about the future of a wanted pregnancy need accurate and balanced information, the right support and time. It's hard to imagine a more high-stakes scenario. In this episode, we will hear from a number of people with lived and professional experience in the area of prenatal screening. From today, prospective parents and healthcare professionals can now access up-to-date, evidence-based and balanced information on one reputable website. This site brings together a range of written resources and videos, along with clinical training options, so that the prenatal screening journey can be one that is informed, supported and respectful of patient experiences and choices. Visit prenatalscreening.org.au. I'm Megan, I'm 33 years old. My husband and I have two daughters. We have Scarlett, who's three, and April, who's one, and we're having another baby in October. Um, my background's in employment law, so I worked as a lawyer for a few years before moving into human resources. So we did the NIPT for all our pregnancies. Um, and with our second one, with our daughter April, the results came back as a high risk for Down syndrome. Um, we chose not to do diagnostic testing, but we proceeded on the basis that she did have Down syndrome, um, which she does. Um, I wouldn't say that we had a good experience, and that's not to do with the test itself. Uh, I think we're glad that we did it and found out in advance, but the information that we were given about the test and then also how the results delivered were delivered um, weren't, wasn't really a good experience. Um, so in terms of what we were told about the test, the first time that we did it, we were given some really basic information about the genetic conditions being screened for and how the test works. And we got the impression that it was just a routine test that everybody does. And then with our second pregnancy, we just had a really brief conversation that was something like, let's just do the same test as last time and didn't really give it much more thought than that. What we weren't given was we weren't given any detailed information about these conditions. So what it's like, you know, to live with Down syndrome or have a child who has Down syndrome. And then we weren't told anything about what the potential outcomes were and then the further decisions and options that we'd need to make. So I think because of this, and also probably some naivety on our part, we just assumed that the results were gonna come back as low risk. So we were particularly shocked and unprepared when they didn't. Um, and then in terms of being told the results. So I got a phone call on a Saturday morning and it started with, I've got bad news. Um, your NIPT results have come back with a high risk for Down syndrome. Uh, it was a really brief conversation. I was just told that we could get in the next week to have a CBS to know for sure, and then we could have a termination that week if we wanted to. Um, we were told that we had the weekend to decide, 
And so my husband and I both felt really pressured to make a decision that we didn't really have enough time to, you know, to work through it all. And also just that it was assumed that we would terminate the pregnancy. We had, I think my next obstetrician appointment was scheduled for four or five weeks later, just the next routine appointment. Um, so other than a text message that we got just following up whether we wanted to have the CVS, I didn't have any further contact with my obstetrician in the meantime. So my understanding of informed consent is that parents are given enough information um, so that they can decide whether they want to do the prenatal screening or not. Um, and I think that information is more than just being told about the conditions being screened for and how the test works. It's also doctors explaining to parents what those potential outcomes are um, and then if it does detect something, what the options are and what decisions they'll need to make further down the track. And also letting them know what the timeframes for those decisions were. Um, so in our experience, that was what was missing for us. So I think that although, you know, we chose to do the NIPT, we didn't really appreciate what it was we were agreeing to. I think for parents, it's understanding and being prepared that these prenatal screening tests might detect a genetic condition, whilst also acknowledging that statistically it is very unlikely. Um, and then for doctors, there's just lots of little things that they might say and do that influences a parent's decision um, and might encourage them to terminate, even if it's not their intention. Um, so for us, I think it was not being told any actual information about Down syndrome just fed into this assumption that if you're doing the test and it detects something, you'll probably want to terminate. And then just using language like the risk of Down syndrome and calling it bad news, um, it really just sets, well, set us up to make it feel like what was expected of us was that we would terminate. And then I've been thinking about this, and I think as well, there's just some time constraints. So for most people, you know, you're told about the NIPT at your first medical appointment to discuss your pregnancy and you're given lots of other information and it's a lot to take in. So you go away and you've got the blood test form and then people like myself might have just gone ahead and had the test without really thinking about it and there's just not that further opportunity to check in with parents if they have really thought about what they're doing and understand why they're doing it. If you could change one thing about prenatal screening, what would it be? Well, there's lots of things I would like to change, but probably the biggest would be that immediate support is given to parents who get the high risk or high chance result. Um, so for us, I think if we'd been connected with organisations like Down Syndrome Queensland shortly after getting our results, it would have just helped us process the news faster, made us just get excited to meet our daughter faster and probably meant that, you know, our pregnancy was just more enjoyable. Hi, my name's Beck. I'm uh, a mother of two young children. I have an older child, Asha, who's about three and a half now, and he has Down syndrome. And I have a younger little boy, Milo, who's uh, neurotypical. He has He's 18 months old. Um, yeah, and I work as a doctor, um, but uh, prenatal testing isn't really 
part of my role uh, as a doctor. So I, when I was pregnant with my first child, uh, I was 35 years old uh, and um, I wanted, I, I was sort of trying to explore my prenatal testing options and I went to my GP and I asked her, cause, because I was aware of the non-invasive prenatal testing that it was available but not available through Medicare, and I wanted to find out a little bit about if it was an appropriate test for me, but she didn't really know anything about it. She dug out a little pamphlet and handed it to me. So then I called, I tried to look online. It was all really, I felt very advertising type material. Uh, and I still couldn't really figure out if it was for me. So I spoke to my friend who's a GP who always knows everything. And she kind of said, well, you know, if you're 35 and you can afford it and you you just want to know either way, then just do it. So my husband and I were both doctors and so we had had a talk beforehand. Um, we both work in paediatrics. We both work with children who have, a lot, you know, a, an array of different diagnoses and we had talked about, if we had a child with Down syndrome, we would we would want to know, but we would continue with the pregnancy because we felt that a child with Down syndrome would be a child with a good quality of life and that was what we valued. So I um, went to go and get my prenatal test and um, went through, I went to a private place where there was actually genetic counselling beforehand and they kind of went through all the testing and everything. Um, they actually talk, spoke about things like the sensitivity and the specificity and the different tests that could be test, like the different conditions that could be tested for. Um, and I chose to test for the three trisomies and the sex and I elected not to test for the, um, you know, the chromosomal sex conditions like Turner syndrome and Kleinfelter. Um, and I also elected not to test for the 22Q11 deletion syndrome because I thought those tests just didn't seem very reliable based on the information they gave me. Um, and then I said, oh, how do you give me the results? do I go back to my GP for the results? And the genetic counsellor said, no, no, I'll call you. And I thought to myself, oh, what if it's a high chance result? And that's not very nice to give someone that information over the phone, but I didn't say anything because I was trying not to be the doctor. I was trying to be the patient and not be bossy. And, um, yes, cut to me getting the information over the phone in a bit of an inappropriate way. So that was my first. Um, experience with prenatal testing I already had my mind made up regardless it was a very different thing dealing with it in an abstract sense as compared to it being real but I think that the way someone experiences getting that result and what comes next would definitely affect their decision and I am 
a pro-choice person and everything, but it's I do think it's hard to be the mother of a child that you see people basically devalue their life when they don't really have an understanding of what that child's life experience is and that it's valuable. And I think a lot of people, if given that information and that period of time was handled better, a lot of people would have the joy of experiencing a child like mine and have the joy of seeing a child like mine have a really full and wonderful life. So to me, informed consent is a very hard thing and a very can be a very time-consuming thing. And I think the real issue with prenatal testing is that it's not as straightforward as current processes would suggest. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack. Um, and I think the public's understanding for a lot of people, the understanding of prenatal testing is it's a way to find out the gender like as soon as possible and get that kind of connection with your unborn child and excitement and planning and organisation happening. So informed consent is a very person-specific thing. Um, but in the setting of prenatal testing where it's just like almost, almost a one or two-size-fits-all option, for basically the whole community, that doesn't necessarily happen. I think you need to, so you need to have the information that you understand. So it needs to be given to you in a way that you understand. It needs to be relevant to you so you can make a decision based on your life and your circumstances. And I think that what I haven't really seen done well or heard of doing well is like at the time of getting the informed consent is saying so these are the two possible results that you'll have and now I think think about if you get a high chance result what will that mean for you and what would be the potential pathways you go down and if you get that high chance result how do you want to have that result delivered to you do you want us to let your doctor know and your doctor can tell you or do you want us to call you knowing that we might be calling you with a high chance result, like that's the information you'd be getting over the phone, are you happy with that, those sorts of things. And then also the understanding that if you get a low chance result, that's just a low chance result. That doesn't mean no chance. Um, so all the and all these things are really complicated and really nuanced, and I don't think people have a good understanding of that. The other issue in the space is all the, I think, a lot of ethical issues around who's giving the counselling about these conditions and what are their qualifications and what's their lived experience and what's their professional experience to be giving this information and where are they getting their information from. I think the one time I really got really annoyed was when the genetic counsellor sort of said to me, I'll explain this to you because you wouldn't, you wouldn't know about it. I was like, of course I know about it. I work in paediatrics. How many children have you looked after with a genetic syndrome? I don't even know how many I have. Probably looked after 10 this week. 
you know, like, and I do feel that she thought our decision, I think she felt a need to be sure that our decision was based on accurate information or something. She did make a point of saying, you know, not all people with Down syndrome can talk. And I said, yes. And at this point, I kind of looked at my husband like, what does she think we do for work? What does she think? And, or, and I even started to think, do I not understand what Down syndrome is? And he kind of cut in and said, we know Down syndrome is the commonest genetic cause of developmental delay in children. We know what Down syndrome is. And she's like, okay, and kind of moved on. But, you know, reflecting back on that now, I think, what does she tell people and where does she get her information and why is she the expert to be counselling people in this space? Those are big things, I think. Today we welcome Peter Shakes, Executive Director of Through the Unexpected, Mental Health Nurse and Lecturer at James Cook University. Thank you for your time today. Tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. Hi, thanks for inviting me to be part of this. My involvement is mainly, I guess, a little bit further down the line that um, my research and the work that we're doing is focused on what do we do after people receive a prenatal diagnosis? But obviously that extends into considering screening because people who are well informed of uh, screening options and make their decisions based on their values, based on what um, they hope to do, they have a different experience of receiving a prenatal diagnosis or not um, down the line. So that we recognise, I guess, some of the challenges that come with prenatal diagnosis can actually be, you know, maybe... Um, sorted out, maybe smooth, maybe some of that that difficulty that people face can be avoided if we look further up the line and obviously prenatal screening comes in there. What is informed consent and is this done effectively with prenatal screening? So informed consent uh, in, I guess, the health world, if we were to look at the Australian Commission um, of Quality and Safety in Healthcare, this is about voluntarily agreeing um, to a treatment or a pathway or an option, something health-wise, I guess, or a test um, based on already having accurate information and being given alternative options. Um, and with adequate knowledge and understanding of the benefits and any material risks. So to unpack that, um, informed consent is about knowing what you are going into, understanding what you're going into, and making the choice that is correct, that is right for you, uh, no matter what that choice is. Now, is this done effectively within prenatal screening? Uh, I don't believe that it is. We also need to consider that even ultrasound is prenatal screening, really. Um, and I can't think of the last time that, um, you know, people were really informed of, of what they were going into there. So I think 
for a long time, we haven't done prenatal screening in, in a really informed manner. And I think we're seeing repercussions of that, but we're also seeing, um, you know, there's, there's concern that, you know, prenatal screening, we're finding more, we're finding more information. We can give people more information, but we don't know what information, you know, we're not giving people meaning. People have to then work to, to, to find out that meaning and find out what that means to them. So we're giving people lots of information, but without doing that stop and check in where they do get that informed consent. So they can then think about what the information might then mean for them, no matter what um, option that they take. With, uh, say, NIPT being such a simple test, if you look at all the marketing, it's certainly how it's marketed, um, a simple test to, you know, be prepared. Uh, if we look at that, we see how that happens in the clinical space that people are going through and having this, um, having NIPT as an example without even having discussions about what the findings might be, what the test might show and might not show, uh, what does it mean to have a high chance result, what does it not mean to have a high chance result, what does it mean to have a low chance result. Um, and even moving beyond some of the things like, you know, there are even a few um I know that Illumina has done one. There's a there's an app about understanding NIPT, but again, it focuses on okay, well, this is the test, and this is what the test can and can't show you, but it doesn't really unpack that other part. You know, it it sort of looks over it. Well, you can make pregnancy options. You'll have pregnancy. You'll have options for your pregnancy, but what does that actually mean? And how can we um, work to make sure that people actually understand what that means? But I guess you know we know that there are. Um, potential mental health complications down the line as well, psychosocial um, difficulties. Uh, you know, it can be very different to sit with information while you have a baby kicking in your belly. But we don't talk about any of that um, prior screening. It's a simple blood test now. People get the blood test form and often don't even know what it was for. And then then the cascade of things start. So people then get a phone call. Oh, we've got a high chance screening. So we've booked you in for an amnio. And we just, you know, we lose the, the cascade of testing and everything. We lose that sense of um, person-centered care and stopping and checking in and informed consent in that in that whole process. So my simple answer was, no, I don't think we do it very well. <laughs> and it's quite funny because even things like there's literature about, oh, are we going to, you know, is it going down a path of routinization? And there are a lot of people that will say, no, it's not. You know, we've done a study and we asked people, did you feel obliged to do this test? And they will say no. But you could also go and ask people about their ultrasounds. Did you feel obliged to have an ultrasound? Oh, no, I wanted to. Okay, great. But if somebody says, no, I don't want an ultrasound, there's a massive backlash of that. Suddenly they become a, pair, a poor parent or their, their just parenting decisions are poor. How can they refuse this? You know, that is routinization. We even call it the routine ultrasound. <laughs> That's the routinization that happens slowly, gradually, and then, then we've lost in, informed consent. So <laughs> as I said, I had a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> What do you see are the main challenges in this space? Uh, well, I guess different people are always going to bring different lenses to this. Um, so from my lens where I sit as a mental health professional and in the space that I'm working to look at the psychosocial impacts, one of the biggest things, I guess, for myself from that lens is how all of this then ties in with how um, people cope 
through all of this process. Um, so I do think there are things that we could do a lot better. There are people that do, you know, there are health and allied health professionals out there that are doing amazing things and um, are really cued in to providing really person-centered care and helping people unpack what is right for them and to understand and have that knowledge and understanding that is required for informed consent. But then there's a lot that, as I said, doesn't happen that way and people aren't provided that time to understand that knowledge and it all um, culminates into this potentially really distressing thing um, that can be really influenced by the language that's used at the time or how how um, people's attitudes and stigma and all sorts of things come into play. Um, so I think that doesn't really sum it up very well and say what's the main challenge because it's all just one big complicated thing where there's lots of layers that all integrate uh, each other and all impact on each other. So, uh, well, we know that informed consent is... Um, again, from the commission, uh, is something that should be obtained before people undergo tests. Um, and, you know, screening is a test. I know that, you know, there's issues understanding screening and test uh, anyway and the complexities of that, which is why we need informed consent. But, uh, <laughs> like, that's absolutely one. But if we look beyond just the person and their specific um pathway through, we we need to look at other things like uh, equ equitable access to the tests, equitable access to information and understanding to find out what the test is about, that, that pre-testing counselling, I guess, um, people don't really have equitable access to that. Um, people don't really have equitable access to supports who are informed of things like their language use and being non-stigmatizing and being really person-centered. Um, we, people then can face challenges no matter what their options are after um, a screening result, if there was a high chance finding and then even a prenatal diagnosis. Um, we can also look at the broader ethical issues of well, what are we saying to communities and people who have lived experience of the um, anomalies, the genetic anomalies that we find or we're searching for or they're providing parents this information to make pregnancy options and pregnancy decisions. So what does that say to the people who are living with these differences? Um, so disability rights and what does that say, you know, as a society, um, stigma about that, obviously there's that um, slippery slope, I guess, in eugenics and where people may perceive prenatal screening and prenatal diagnosis to fall on that spectrum already. Um, there is this lack of support. So even, you know, we're providing tests or private companies are marketing tests with particular, you know, be the prepared parent, which also, if you read between the lines, you're implying that the person that says, no, I don't want to do that, that screening is the ill-prepared parent or is not the correct parent or is not being the best parent or is not choosing the best path. Um, so I think even the marketing of this stuff is is a big issue, especially when people don't understand, you know, 
if you look if you look at a brochure, they'll be like, oh, 99.9%. But what does that mean to the layperson um, versus what that means to somebody who actually understands positive predictive value and these sorts of things? So I think that's another big concern there. Um, then the lack of support, as I said again, for, for pre-screening counselling, but even afterwards as well, um, I think, you know, we shouldn't even be looking at expanding things until we get that stuff right because even what we have already, we're not doing it ideally uh, and yet we're still, you know, te technology and people are looking at pushing this further and, you know, including um, other differences and what we don't, you know, when we don't, when we're not able to provide people with meaning because what we, we give them information but we also give them information that's already outdated because any lived experience information is already, you know, if, if we're giving them results about what people are doing now living with a particular genetic anomaly or difference, that's going to be different to what people are going to be living with in another 30 years because, you know, outcomes are based on society and are based on um, options and are based on supports and are based on all of these things as well. So we're giving people incomplete information to make some really serious decisions and we're not providing the support to help them through all of that unpacking. Uh, it's basically, here's the information, decide what's right for you guys. Um, we'll support you, but as long as that means just, uh, that's just one appointment, you know, <laughs> like we need to get that part right before we even look at this sort of expansion thing. Um, and, you know, I would say that that also comes in, you know, when we're looking at the, the ethics of this and even the way that it's taught at universities. Um, I did a grad cert in diagnostic genomics and one week we looked at prenatal screening and our question for each of us that week on the discussion forums was, would you choose between combined first trimester screening or NIPT? There was no, would you choose not to have any? Um, so obviously I, you know, <laughs> did bring that to their attention. But it's just, um, just all these little things that gain this momentum where, again, yeah, we're saying, well, which one would you like to choose? Not, hey, let's explore all of these. Are these right? Um and then when we looked at uh, Down syndrome, as an example, one of the papers that we read that we were offered in our um, diagnostic genomics course was from like 1998. So, of course, the health and well-being outcomes are going to be quite different than they are now. Um, I think they just used it because it was one of the most comprehensive papers because some of the more, you know, more common differences, I guess, they don't uh, attract that sort of ongoing attention in the literature, like a rare disease that we can give a new name to or something does. Um, so that's fascinating as well and all comes into play again. It's just this big <laughs> this big thing with all of these uh, all of these little factors that compound it. And for our last question for the day, if you could change one thing about prenatal screening, what would it be? Yeah, uh, if I could change one thing, it would probably be the attitude 
in society, the fund is everybody. I would just like everybody to wake up one day and go, oh, wow, this is a bigger thing than we think it is. Yeah. And we need to focus a bit more attention here. And if everybody (laughs) just came to the table about that, then we would perhaps have the funding to do the projects that we need to do to make sure that people are getting some of the informed consent that is really person-centered, meets them where they're at, really that people do get the support that they need, no matter what their decision. Um, And no matter what their pathway down the line, because everybody brings different things into this, but we, we struggle to get all of that stuff done. We struggle to get the research done and the projects done and build the resources because there seems to be this lack of awareness. It's just something that's done in pregnancy. You just go do it, you know, um, even just on the weekend, I was talking to someone and yeah, they they were talking about how. It was just a thing about um, determining the sex of the baby. (laughs) You know, that would probably be my biggest thing because I think then we can work on it and find a space where, yes, people have access to the tests, the screening um, that they desire, you know, and we know that there's many reasons for that as well. And screening in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, at all and they're you know but it's about how we go about it and it's about where we focus energy and money and you know making sure that we're able to keep up with the technology that's always going to be advanced by industry as well um so yeah if i could change one thing it would probably be that we all wake up tomorrow and go oh wow this is a thing we need to do some like we need to think about this Today we welcome Betsy Peach, a genetic counsellor. Thank you for your time today. Tell us who you are and a bit about yourself. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Um, I'm a genetic counsellor. I have a lot of experience. I've had over 20 years working in um, the various areas of genetic counselling, but the majority of my history has been in prenatal settings. So I trained in the U.S. and then I moved to Australia after about eight years where I practiced in the U.S. And since I've been in Australia, I've been working primarily in the private prenatal settings. So I deal very exclusively in one part of my work experience in prenatal screening, prenatal counseling, and also prenatal diagnostic testing. And a lot of that has always been focused on screening for Down syndrome. I also have a number of families that I know who have children with Down syndrome in my personal life, so I've been able to watch different things happen as they grow up. Um, Informed consent is making sure a person who is making the decision understands the implications of what that decision may mean, okay? Now, for me, I, I think that in the world of prenatal screening, There is not good informed consent necessarily for each and every test. I think most families understand through the GP process, through their personal experience and through their friends that it's expected that you'll do some type of screening. What I don't know is communicated as well as I would like it to be is what those various types of screening are and each implication within them. So personally, when I think about NIPS, that's probably the biggest place where I think informed consent has a bit of a gap. It can be explained as the most accurate test for screening for Down syndrome, and then we stop. And that's absolutely true. As a one-off test, it is excellent. However, 
It also screens for other things that don't have as high accuracy and you can look at other things and those things may then lead down a path of having to make different decisions or be faced with the consideration of invasive testing and you may not have even known you were testing for it. So I do think that informed consent is incredibly important. I do struggle also with how can we have the time, how can every GP be able to explain all the ins and outs of every bit of informed consent surrounding our current options for prenatal screening. I think that legally we know and can be guided by the guidelines that are already in place. So the GP guidelines, the obstetrician and gynecologist guidelines are very clear. Every woman needs to be offered the option of prenatal screening. What becomes difficult is the intricacies of which those need to be done and in what way. Um, I think that the guidelines are incredibly helpful. I think it's hard to keep up with the current guidelines sometimes. And I know that that also can be a challenge. Um, but as far as legal, following the recommendations of your individual um, organization. So mine, the genetic counseling, kind of the um, HGSA oversight helps me to make sure that I'm giving non-directive counseling, that I'm providing options across the board. And that's really where my focus is. From a GP standpoint, they have to offer a whole slew of things during the first visit in regards to prenatal screening, and they need to discuss the options so that a patient is aware. I think it's become almost standard of care that you're expected to, and if you don't, your physicians look at you as if, what were you thinking? But the truth is, as long as I as a person with my family unit understand what I'm doing, I don't have to screen, it's okay, but, if I'm worried about those things, I want to have equal access to it. And I think that's the goal down the path. If you would like to hear any episodes from previous seasons or more information on any subject relating to Down syndrome, visit our website www.downsyndrome.org.au forward slash Queensland. That's www.downsyndrome.org forward slash QLD. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.au slash QLD. Down syndrome Queensland supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.